0: Well, I'm so excited to be here with you today, whether you're tuning in live on Facebook, worshiping with us back in the chapel or at our West Campus today, welcome. We are uh, glad that you are here with us as uh, we've got a lot of great things going on this weekend here at Crossroads. Uh, uh, Today we are going to be having Group Connect at our Newberg campus right after our last service in the gym. And if you're worshiping with us at West, it'll be in the atrium after each service. And, And Group Connect is an environment for you to get connected to a small group, we we really believe that, that God designed us for community, that we need each other. And so if you aren't connected to a small group yet, and you have somewhat of an interest in, in belonging to one, uh, I want to encourage you to check out Group Connect. That's where we are going to try to connect you with uh, people here at Crossroads who are uh, in a similar life stage as, as you. Now, the other thing is that um, as you leave today, there's going to be an opportunity for you to uh, continue giving towards Hurricane Irma. There are going to be some buckets right by the doors as you leave at Newburg and West as well. You have been so generous uh, as we have tried to come alongside those who are in, in need down in Florida because of the hurricane. And so this is our last opportunity to uh, give to those who are in need. And so thank you for your generosity so far. As Andy said a moment ago, a thank you to those who, who actually went down to Florida to help bring about a relief, way to be the church, way to be light in the midst of a lot of uh, dark now, can we just give Lisa Miles another hand for sharing her story? <clears throat> you know, that, uh, it takes so much courage to stand up here and be vulnerable like that. And, and it kind of ties into this series that we've been in for the past few weeks called Adopted. And over the past few weeks, we have been looking at this thing in the Bible called our identity. Who, who are we really? What defines us? Now, this is really important because our identity literally drives everything in life. It it drives our behavior, how we think, how we act, how we talk, how, how we treat other people. It all goes back to our identity, how we see ourselves, right? And so one thing we've been saying in this series goes like this, how you see yourself determines how you live. right, how you see yourself determines how you live. We're all finding our worth, significance and value in something, someone, maybe a job, an emotion or feeling, right? This past week, I looked back on different uh, chapters of my life when I found a lot of worth and value in in different things, and when I was about six years old, it was all about baseball. I wanted to be the best baseball player in the Middletown uh, Little League, and I got to tell you, my career really didn't take off, though, okay? And I don't know if it's because my last name is Garcia or the fact that I have Cuban heritage that I expected to be a lot better than I really was, but... I can't tell you how many times I struck out, how many times I dropped a ball when it was sailing my way. And in fact, years later, when I was about 17 years old, I was actually down in Cuba. I was playing with some of the locals there, uh, a pickup game of baseball. And they kept saying this phrase to one another in Spanish and, and laughing. And, and I assumed that they didn't know what, uh, they didn't know that I could understand them, that I could translate what they were saying. But after playing with them for 20 minutes, they kept saying back and forth, hey, this guy right here, My little sister throws the baseball better than him. (laughs) True story. So good thing I didn't find my worth and value in that for too long. Now in high school, I tended to find my significance in different relationships, and so I would jump from girlfriend to girlfriend, and and I became all about that, and and I got I, I kind of refined this to an art. If I wanted to pursue a girl, I wanted her to date me and go out with me. I would uh, kind of uh, pursue her, put my arm up against the locker, and I would try to woo her by telling her, "Hey, just so you know, just so you know, I've never, I, I." A girl has never broken up with me. Now, does that really inspire a lot of confidence going into a relationship, you know what I mean? And so that's, that's not a great way to begin a relationship, guys, just so you know, and it uh, wasn't all that successful for me, although I am uh, uh, married to my high school sweetheart because I found her when, we were, uh, when I was a senior in high school, and, and so whenever I was with, had a girlfriend during that time, I felt like I'm lacking something. Do, do you know what I'm talking about there? And years later, I mean, it, it looks different today, but all of us, we tend to find our identity in something we accomplish, some accolade or a relationship that we're in, don't we? And so in this series, we have been defining identity as, as the truest thing about who we are we've been looking at this uh, book in scripture called ephesians we've been walking through it and, and it was really a letter that was written about two thousand years ago by a guy named Paul to a, a church in the ancient city of Ephesus now now these were new Christians they were new believers and and they were struggling to understand who they were and so Paul for the first half of this letter, he simply describes in thorough detail who they are in Christ they are chosen they're adopted they're blessed they're saints they're pure they're, they're holy he's telling them and reminding them of everything that they are what what truly defines them according to their creator. Now in chapter four, where we're gonna pick up today, he kind of shifts the conversation a little bit because he basically says, hey, now now that you're reminded about who you are, now that you you know your true identity, here are the implications of it. All right, because because we've established what really defines us, here's how that impacts and affects the the way that, that we live. Now, that term adopted is found in chapter one of this letter. It was one of Paul's most frequent metaphors that he used whenever writing a letter to describe this relationship that we have with God because of what Jesus did for us. It's like he's adopted us. We were orphaned. We were lonely all by ourselves, but, but now we're included. And so the point that Paul is going to make today is that in this, when we're adopted, we're, we're a part of a family. We're, we're a part of a community. And, and sometimes you might hear this family referred to as the church or, or the body of Christ. Okay. Now this is really significant because we cannot separate our identity from our family. You can't separate your name from your heritage, right? And so the same is true when it comes to our relationship with Christ. We can't separate who we are from where we belong. And so here's something really important that I want to establish before we go any further. Where you belong shapes who you become. All right, that's just true, regardless of whatever it is in life for you, where you belong shapes who you become. All right, this past week, I was reading uh, an article in the Huffington Post, and and this uh, columnist uh, talked about how you can be successful simply by surrounding yourself with successful friends. And, And she made this point in her article. She said, Eventually who you become is determined by the friends that you have and the connections that you make over the course of life. Scientists might refer to this as adaptation, right? Where you belong, it shapes who you become. And that's true for us as the church as well. And so if you have your Bibles or Bible app, I want you to go ahead and turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is towards the back of your Bibles and between the book of Galatians and, and Philippians. If, if you don't own a Bible here at Newburgh, there should be a black one right in front of you. Or if you're worshiping with us at West, uh, it should be under the, the seat in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Uh, feel free to take that home when you leave here today. And uh, we're gonna pick up right at the beginning of, of chapter one because again, Paul's shifting the conversation from, hey, here's who you are, and he's saying, okay because that's clear now here here, here's how we're to live as a result of that check out verse one Paul says as a prisoner for the Lord then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received be completely humble and gentle be patient bearing with one another in love what's Paul saying right here well and Paul's basically saying, hey, you, you've been chosen, you, you've been adopted, you've been redeemed, your past no longer has power over you. Now it's time that we start to live like it and you really believe it from the inside out. Some of our best friends. Uh, that belong here, have adopted, uh, adopted a little girl years ago. And they told me this past week that one of the biggest challenges they've had with, with parenting her is loving her, choosing to love her when she's screaming, when she's kicking, when she's hitting, when she's throwing objects. Now it surprised me about why it's been difficult for them to love her in that moment. Here's what they told me. They said, it, it, it's a struggle for us. It's difficult for us in those moments because it's obvious that our daughter's behavior isn't consistent with who she really is. You see, those are the moments that that she's acting like she's been rejected, that, that she's not loved, when the reality is she's been chosen and she's cherished by a mom and dad that love her. Isn't it interesting that right after calling us to live life in a worthy manner, we're told to love one another? That, that's what Paul says here. It's like Paul is saying, hey, if, if we're always impatient with people, if we always have to be right, and when an argument, if we only care about what other people can do for us rather than us serving them, it's evident that, that we've lost sight of our identity. You see, the church in Ephesus was called to be one with, you, with one another. It, it was a call towards unity. Now, before you dismiss this whole idea of of church unity as something that's not really relevant to you, you need to understand that that we all have a part in this. We all have responsibility here, and here's why. Division in the church is symptomatic of some deeper issues, some deeper problems. And we all need to own this. This is all part of us. Why? Because if division is taking place, if we are taking part in division and gossip or any kind of disharmony in the church, that is revealing of the fact that we have misplaced our identity. We've forgotten who we are. We can't separate identity from unity in the church. And so what we're going to do with this text is we're going to look at some indicators or maybe some symptoms that we have not only lost sight of our identity, but... Maybe we're taking part in division. We're, we're a part of disharmony and disunity. Now, here's my challenge to you. I want you to take notes, okay? But after you leave here today, I want you to just ask yourself this one question. Where's the truth for me? All right, well, what do I need to own? If you, if you listen and you watch this as a way to, you know, use it as ammo or point fingers, at your husband or wife, or maybe I wish my boss would hear this. You've kind of missed the point, all right? And so the first indicator that we're gonna look at uh, of a misplaced identity that fosters division in the church goes like this, avoiding love out of fear. Do you avoid love out of fear? You see, unity is impossible apart from loving one another. And by love, let me just clarify this, I'm not talking about an emotion or a feeling or romance. No, true love is is risky and costly. Love is about sacrifice and, and vulnerability. Look again at what Paul says in verse two, he says, it's about bearing with one another in love. Now that literally translates from the Greek to mean endure one another. Isn't that funny? Endure one another. Why? Well, there are some people that may be easy to love in your life. And then there are others. Every time you're around them, it's, it's like you're suffering. You know what I'm saying? And so Paul's saying, even those people, you're called to love them and endure them. and Tolerate one another. O- overlook faults. How has Lisa Miles been given the power to forgive and move on in love? Well, it's because she understands who, who she is, and she takes this seriously. Now, I know that this may come as a, as a complete shock to you, all right? But you are not as lovable as you think you are. You're not, and, and it's really humbling for me to realize that I'm not as awesome as I think I am at times, okay? Okay? You see, the generosity of your love and and patience reveals the depth of your understanding of what Christ has done for you. Now, of all the examples and illustrations that Paul could have used to describe what true love is, here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, husbands, love your wives. How's that? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, you won't find this version of love in some Nicholas Sparks novel, okay? Paul Paul says that the true love, it's really about death. I mean, Jesus didn't feel like going to the cross, okay? The church didn't first sweep him off his feet and romance him, and then he said, you know what? I, I'll take you up on this whole crucifixion thing. That, that's not how it happened. No, the cross tells us that, that love is not comfortable, that, that love is, is painful. The cross tells us that, that love isn't always convenient. That it, it's hard. One of Jesus' biographies, or actually in a few of them, we're we're told that just moments before Jesus was arrested and betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, we're told that that his anxiety, worry, and fear took over uh, to a point where where Jesus even said this, right now I'm being filled with sorrow until the point of death. In other words, I I just feel like dying right now. I'm so depressed in this moment. You see, Jesus' fear was so real that he began to sweat blood. That's an actual medical condition called hematidrosis. Whenever your sweat glands break down, and blood vessels take over because you are enduring an intense level of stress or fear or anxiety. Now, don't miss this, okay? Jesus in that moment feared adopting us and what the cost of that would actually be. He feared what what adoption would actually cost him. You see, the cross was was risky and he knew that. Now, although there there wasn't a second that Jesus was never in control, moments later, Christ allowed himself he allowed himself, he surrendered, and he could have taken it back at any moment. He allowed himself to be arrested and to be killed. And so, having observed all of this and what true love is, here's what one of his closest friends by the name of John said. He said, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears hadn't been perfected in love. What's he saying there? Well, love and fear cannot coexist. Now, that last phrase, who Whoever fears has not been perfected in love was John's way of saying that, hey, if we fear more than we love, then we've failed to understand the cross. And so how much much has loving somebody in your life cost you lately? How much have you been inconvenienced because you're putting somebody else's needs ahead of your own? You see, the whole idea of the church, Jesus came up with it so that we would be reminded of, of not only who we are, but that we would have this chance to, to become someone that well, we're not right now. You see, the church is about shaping one another into who we're becoming. Well, let's keep going. The second symptom that potentially divides the church and says that we've maybe forgotten our identity is talking about people more than talking with people talking about people more than talking with people. You see, our words carry the the power and weight to unite or divide the church. And and that's something we shouldn't take lightly. Skip down to verses 25 and 29. Paul says, therefore, having put away all, all falsehood, let each of one of you speak the truth in love with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. He says this in verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may Give grace to those who who hear. All right, Paul didn't say in verse 25, hey, speak the truth in love about your neighbor. He didn't say that. No, corrupt talk is when we bring people down rather than build people up. Our words either cultivate unity or it sparks division. But do you know what I'm learning? Now, I've been open with you about this, but, but I'm learning that the, the, whenever I feel the need to bring someone else down, my words in that moment says more about me than the other person that I'm criticizing. Because when, when we criticize people, it's really, it's our subtle way of trying to elevate our, ourselves. It's our way of saying, hey, i, I I'm smarter. I'm wiser I make better decisions or I would never do that I'm more successful I uh, Jesus loves me more I'm more moral I'm more ethical I'm this is an identity issue isn't it so let me challenge you with something can you go an entire day try this this week can you go an entire day without talking bad about somebody Whether it's a celebrity or some politician or your boss, whatever that may be. Can you go an entire day without talking bad about someone? And yes, that includes texting, that includes emails, that includes what you post on social media. Can you go an entire day? And you know what? If it's a real struggle for you or if you fail at it, you know what that reveals to you? That reveals that that you're finding your identity in something that, that is lesser. And so what if we were known as people for what we're for rather than, than what we're against? And so if you struggle with this this week, what, why is that? Ask yourself that. Look at verse 3 in our text. Paul challenges the Ephesians by saying, hey, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit if through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What's Paul saying here? Well, that phrase, keep the unity, is really a diluted translation from the original text. It comes from a word that described the way that a soldier would guard a prison, all right? Now, this was no task to take lightly. In ancient Rome, a soldier would be put to death if a prisoner escaped underneath his watch. And so this is a strong call to action for us to guard something that's really valuable, and that's unity and harmony in the church. That's the seriousness of our responsibility to live out who we are, but also to protect what is precious and what we have in our family here. And so the third revealer of a forgotten identity for us That we may be struggling with this That fosters disunity is this Majoring in the minors (laughs) Majoring in the minors Now I know that this might surprise some of you But Christians don't always get along Right I know that that may be news to some of you But there are some of our brothers and sisters That kind of see themselves as the frozen chosen You know what I'm talking about And I'll just speak for myself. One of the reasons why we tend to do this is out of pride or or ego. But Paul reminded the Ephesians here that our unity comes from really failure rather than accomplishment. We, We all have this common problem, Paul says. Last Sunday, our our family was driving back from a weekend getaway down in Kentucky. Uh, I was about uh, 40 minutes into the drive back home, and all was quiet in the car. Some of the kids had fallen asleep, and there were no cars out. It was a beautiful day, and I kind of hit that zone where I'm really relaxed, and I'm not paying much attention to uh, what's going on around me. I'm just zooming down the interstate. Well, my peaceful state was quickly interrupted at the sight of a black Chevy Impala driving the opposite direction on the highway, making a quick U-turn through the grassy median the moment that I passed him. All right, so what did I do? I went from the fast lane to the right lane and I slowed way down to 78 miles an hour. He sped up, got right behind me, flipped on his lights. I thought to myself, oh no, pulled over to the side of the road. And, and in between the time that, that the officer put on his lights and came up to my window, I frantically was searching for a Bible, Okay. Now we were in my wife's car and that's an important detail because I couldn't find a Bible for the life of me. In my car, I always keep a Bible in my center console because whenever I get pulled over, it's what I like to call a conversation starter. I get pulled over, I put it in a very visible place so that he just happens to notice it. And when he notices the Bible, that will then lead to a conversation about faith. And then all of a sudden we're talking about, hey, what do you do for a living? And so I'll tell him, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor, and, and if he's a good Christian, he'll let me get away with it. <clears throat> well, I couldn't find a Bible that day, and uh, I got a ticket, $178 later, here I am, and it's painful to it. It's painful to admit that. And uh, by show, fans. Uh, he, first of all, you, you might be. I mean, wondering, what, what's the tie-in here with unity and family? This is out of nowhere, Patrick. What does this have to do with anything? Well, if you are a good family member, if you love your pastor, if you care for a brother in Christ, you will email me a list of recommended lawyers that you know. <clears throat> I'm kidding. All right, totally kidding. Now by show of hands, uh, how, many, how many of you have gotten pulled over in the past month? Anybody? Okay, a few of us are honest, all right. Now keep your hands up, keep your hands up. How many of you have gotten pulled over within the past year? West, we see you. Okay, keep your hands up, keep your hands up, come on. How many of you have gotten pulled over within the past five years? There you go, 10 years. I see a couple of you out there and you're police officers, that's ironic, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, you know what? Keep your hands up for just a second. Right now, what we're experiencing is, is, is unity, okay? We're experiencing empathy. We're compassionate towards one another. And in a weird kind of strange way, we're, we're one with one another, not because of accomplishment, but because of failure, right? We're, we're united, not, not because of something that we can be proud of, but because of how much we messed up. And so Paul says, look, your, your unity in the church, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, he says in verse three, it comes from that. Well, why is that significant? Well, we are adopted by Jesus Christ into this family called the church and in baptism specifically, it symbolizes our union with Jesus, but it's also that moment when we say, you know what? I have failed, I don't measure up, I, I can't do it. And so you're admitting that, you know what? I'm broken. And so as God's children, we're called to keep the main thing, the main thing. And sadly, over the past 20 years in the church, what's happened is we haven't really, I'm sorry, 20 centuries in the church, we haven't done this very well. Sometimes churches split over really important issues like the color of carpet in the lobby or maybe a certain picture to hang up in in a hallway. Sometimes it's over a certain belief interpreted differently in the Bible. Now, beliefs and convictions are are important in scripture, but we must learn and, and grow in humility because honestly, our knowledge is very limited. We don't know all things and we risk diverting ourselves from Jesus whenever we overly intensely focus on one particular belief that honestly is just secondary this is why churches split over everything from stupid things leadership structure to when to take communion to when someone should be baptized what someone thinks it'll be like whenever Jesus returns to gender roles in the churches uh, how uh, Christians should engage with culture what worship should sound and look like what you wear to church or whether or not Christians should drink alcohol now look don't miss what I'm saying I am not saying that we shouldn't have preferences opinions or convictions we should all right, but the problem is that so many of these things have nothing to do with our adoption. And so instead of keeping it about Jesus, we, we make it about tradition. Instead of communicating grace, we emphasize a list of rules. Instead of focusing on the orphans around us and our culture, we cater to the preferences of, of us and the church You know, one of the more popular slogans in the church over the past 2,000 years goes like this. You maybe heard it before. I don't know who originally said it, but it goes like this. In essentials, unity and non-essentials, liberty and all things love. Now, that sounds like a nice magnet to put on your refrigerator or a bookmark to put in your Bible. But do we really mean it? I mean, can we really be one with each other as we keep the main thing, the main thing? You see, never is our love for one another tested more than when we disagree with each other. You see, God tends to pour his blessing out upon churches that, that intensely focus on Jesus, lead with integrity, and maintain a focus on the mission to reach those who are far from God. And you see, that's what we're about here at Crossroads. Now, this is not a perfect church whatsoever. We often say, if we haven't disappointed you yet, just give us a few more weeks, all right? None of us are perfect. We're a dysfunctional family, but you belong here because when you belong here, it helps shape you into who you're becoming. It's messy. It's a journey. It's not a destination, but that's, that's how God designed it. Look at uh, verse 11. Skip down to, to this. Paul says this. He says, so Christ gave him... Uh, gave, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up, so that the church may be one. Now, one of the biggest illusions in the church today is that you can belong to a church without really contributing, that you can attend without really serving or or participating. You see, belonging means that, that who we're becoming helps us accomplish the mission that we're running after. Now, if you don't consider yourself a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, this next part really isn't for you. You have my permission to tune you out. You won't be held accountable for this. You get a pass here. Over the past several centuries, the church has kind of reversed the meaning of what Paul said here in, in verses 11 and 12. The apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are, are equated as the church leaders whose role is to equip and empower the people for ministry, the congregation for ministry. Instead, we've kind of flipped this. We, we see church leaders as the only ones who are qualified for ministry, but that's not what Paul's saying and this is only really fed into our consumerism and we drift into thinking that the church exists for us and our needs and it's all about preferences. And so we might go church shopping, we leave as soon as something happens that we don't agree with. And, and honestly, many of us, we approach church not much different from a business where you think you're the customer or the, the church is like a concert where, where, where you attend to be entertained. But that's not what Paul's saying. No, the reality is it should never surprise us when somebody in the church disappoints us, angers us or frustrates us, including the pastor. I know that's shocking, but it's true. All right, the church is a broken place. It's a broken place on a journey towards all of us becoming whole. And it's really easy to be a critic when you see it as your job to sit on the sidelines rather than put on a jersey and get in the game. And so the last symptom of a misplaced identity that leads to division goes like this, confusing entitlement now, my job as your pastor is to help you own a lifestyle of ministry while helping you see that you're free from being entitled to anything because your identity isn't wrapped up in that, into that to begin with. Now, when I became a pastor several years ago, in a way, I kind of left ministry. Here's what I mean by that, All right? Now, my job is to equip you for ministry where you live, where you work, where you shop, where you work out. Now that word equip in verse 12 means to prepare. It's, a, it's kind of a, a fitness term that conveys the idea of, of training or conditioning for a specific task. And so I'm going to draw up here on this board um, what the two different kind of models of churches that are at, that are at play here. Now first I'm going to look at how we have kind of uh, misinterpreted what the role of the church is, or what the church is to look like. And so when God designed the church, when Jesus came up with this idea of the community, here's what he didn't mean, and yet it's where many of us are today. We think that the church is is kind of like a a triangle, okay? Now at the top here, you have the pastor, and that's me, and that is a horrible drawing, but he doesn't have hair, so uh, it may be pretty accurate. And so we come to church, we're a part of a church, and we see it as the role of the pastor to feed us, to do all these things for us. And and so we we get attached to certain leaders, and and we all of a sudden become dependent upon certain leaders. And and so we, we, we go looking to him, and we put pastors up on this pedestal that, honestly, they don't really deserve to begin with. Now, that's not saying that the pastor shouldn't be leading by example, but all of a sudden, it's all about what he can give. And so the moment that the pastor doesn't give you what you need, isn't providing, isn't caring, whatever that may be, you get frustrated. We Why? It's only a matter of time until this guy right here disappoints you. And just so you know, there are about 6,000 people who call Crossroads Home Right in our community. That may mean someone attends here once a year, four times a year, maybe every single weekend of the year, but there are approximately 6,000 people that call this place their church home. And so let's just do the ratio with this for just a second. Okay, if there are 6,000 people that call this church home, and I'm I'm the pastor of the church, ultimately accountable uh, for the the health and well-being of our church, that means that the ratio looks something like this. One to 6,000. All right, It is my job to meet every need of the 6,000. Let me tell you something. I struggle to meet the needs of my wife. (laughs) I can't do it with my kids. I I can't even meet the needs of my dog, all right? So how successful am I gonna be at meeting the needs of 6,000 people? We have 80 people on staff here at Crossroads, and so let's give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Let's break that down into, okay, well, what if we diverted the responsibility among all 80 staff people? Well, that ratio doesn't get much better. It breaks down to be one to 75, all right? Jesus couldn't do this. He couldn't even really care for and disciple and lead 12 guys. And he really didn't do a great job of doing three guys in his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And so what makes us think that 1 to 75 is, is doable This is not how God designed it to be. This is not how it is to look. Rather, Paul's saying here, the church is more like a a circle, okay, where Jesus is at the middle. I misspelled Jesus last night in our service. How horrible is that? J-E-S. I said E-S. My goodness. Good thing my identity is not my intelligence. All right. This is the church right here. and, And what this is about is equipping one another is about meeting each other's needs. And and so we, we all link arms with one another. And so what this leads us to is not only can our impact be multiplied and not only can we reach more people this way and it takes the pressure off a few people, but... You are the church, and and this gets back to more what Jesus is talking about. Hey, you have the Holy Spirit living inside you, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, therefore you have the ability to to minister where you work, where you live, where where you play. And and so not only can our impact be multiplied, but truer community can take place because we are in this together. We are in this together. And so this is what the church is intended to look like. So you might be asking yourself right about now, that's great. That's great. What does that mean for me? What's my specific role? How, how can I be equipped for this? All right, I, I want you to take notes here, okay, for, for just a second, and this is what we're gonna wrap up with, and this is just a takeaway for you, and I'm gonna ask you to do something with it in just a second when we, when we finish up here, so please take notes. God, it, this stupid thing won't erase. <clears throat> Sorry, shouldn't have said that. <laughs> this darn thing won't erase, all right? It's not what I was thinking. All right. <clears throat> Don't email me, all right? Uh, shape. it's uh, a D, shade, not shade, shape. At the beginning of the message, all right, this may be the last time I do this. Uh, the beginning of the message, I said that where we belong shapes who we become. All right, so when it comes to the circle and, and what our unique role is in the circle, let's just use this as an acronym so that you can identify what your shape is. This first word stands for spiritual gifts, Okay. Spiritual gifts. Now, spiritual gifts is a term, is a phrase in the Bible that talks about how we've all been given two or three unique qualities inside of us that God gave us to build up the church, to to serve the church. Now, your gifts are not for you. Your gifts are for me. Your gifts are for the person beside you. It's not about you. And so this is maybe anything from you have the gift of encouragement. You have the gift of hospitality, the gift of leadership, administration, okay? A long time ago, I realized that that my gifts are, are teaching the Bible. and and leadership, okay? It's just something that God gave me. And you don't need to apologize for your gifts, but rather you need to own it and figure out what does this mean for me as far as playing a, a role in the circle. Now, H right here, this stands for heart. All right. What are you excited about? What what gets you emotional? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What what makes your heart beat a little bit faster? And this can be anything. Maybe from talking business to cars to hunting to fishing to uh, maybe um, you know being a handyman around the house. What what are you excited about? All right. It it, it's something. All right. A stands for abilities, and this kind of takes it one step further. The thing is, you have some things in your life that you're really good at, and throughout, throughout the course of your life, people have told you over and over again, hey, you're really good at this. All right, I don't know if you know that, but you just kind of have this natural knack to do that. What, what is that? What are those few things for you? P stands for personality. How are you wired? Okay, my wife her gift is hospitality, and so that means that whenever we have people over into our home, she is completely fine to not be noticed the entire time, to not have a conversation with, with anybody. She does not have to be the center of attention. while her shallow husband, on the other hand, has got to be the center of attention always. Loud you know, personality, that, that's just kind of who I am. That, describes how God has wired the two of us and how he has redeemed uh, both of us and uses our gifts for the building up of of the church. This last word e stands for experiences. All right, you have endured, you have walked through some unique things in life. Maybe you have Maybe you have been healed from cancer. Maybe uh, you you are a veteran of our military. Perhaps, um, you know, you you lived in various countries. You've been very uh, culturally influenced. You've got a lot of experiences under your belt. How can you leverage those experiences in your past to be shaped and and to be a part of of this circle? I want to tell you about a guy in our church named Craig Fulford. I I love Craig. I've learned so much from Craig over the years. Now Craig has a real heart and even a, a good ability to study God's Word and to teach and, and just find things in Scripture that you normally wouldn't see to begin with. And again, I, I've learned a lot from Craig. Now what, what I haven't told you is that, is that Craig, he has cerebral palsy. He fails to do even just the simplest things all by himself, he struggles with just even the simplest things on a day-to-day basis, and, and yet he hasn't allowed his disability to tap himself out, and he hasn't allowed his disability to say, okay, I'm no longer qualified. No. Instead, every Tuesday and Wednesday at our Newberg campus, you can find Craig in one of our classrooms, researching, studying the Bible, because about a year ago, I I said, hey, Craig, you've got some gifts in you, man. I I need help researching. I need help studying and and preparing for my messages. Do you think you could help? And so, Craig, he he doesn't do it for show. He doesn't do it to be recognized or to be up on stage. He he doesn't do it for any of that. No, he's somebody who simply recognized this, this is how God's wired me. Here's some abilities that I have. Here's what I can bring to the table. And as a result, being a part of here at Crossroads, it has helped him, it's helped shape him into who he is becoming. So what is that for you? I take this acrostic this week, and I just want you to personalize it, and I want you to personalize it, and then ask yourself, what's one step I can take this week to be in a part of the circle? What's one step I can take this week to contribute to what God is doing in, in the world around me? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have gifted each of us with certain gifts and abilities and It's by your grace that we've endured different experiences to to be where we are in life right now. And God, you have adopted us in spite of us. You use us in spite of us. We're all broken. We're all flawed. But, man, if it weren't for the cross, we'd be lost. We'd still be orphaned. And so would you help us? Would you help us take one step this week to living more like the heir that we are rather than the, the orphan that we're not? Would you help us, God, because we need help with this. And I know that many of us, we're going to allow a title, a name, or a label to, to disqualify us, but help us to see ourselves as you see us. It's by your grace that we're saved, and we're grateful for that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.